Today, we are talking to Rich Palmer, the CTO and co-founder of Gravity, and we discuss using artificial intelligence for philanthropic purposes, how the quest for AI dominance is the new space race, and the humanization of technology versus the mechanization of people. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So what are you up to today at uh, Gravity? Uh, today, let's see, what were we working on this morning? We're trying, you know, we're working on reinforcement learning, um, if you've heard of that before. So it's uh, where, you know, Google beat the uh, AlphaGo champion um, uh-huh. uh, last year, I think it was. And then, um, you know, IBM beat Gary Kasparov, like chess champion in the 90s. They all did that through reinforcement learning techniques and, and similar things. So we're doing something kind of similar. Uh, it's a huge, hard problem. So we spent a lot of time just sort of figuring that out this morning, uh, as we do most days lately. It's awesome. Yeah, so it's the morning. We're just solving the world's problems. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy. You know, nobody's ever. You know, we also use convolutional neural networks, which is pretty cool. Most of the time, you know, the best way to think about that is if you're tagging, I don't know, like you're on Facebook and you're tagging a friend's face. You're, you know, labeling data. Uh, and then next time it sees a, an image, like it can say, oh, this is Joel, this is Rich, this is Jeannie, right? Um, the people usually do it with images. Not a lot of people do it with text. And that's what we're doing right now. So again, it's like, we're not solving a problem there. We're like, you know, sort of hindered by our technology at the moment. Um, so we're, it, it's just, it's been so much fun. So that's sort of like the assisted AI stuff, like assisted learning or reinforced learning where you have a human there that's like, you're watching what its guess is, and then you're telling it if that is the correct guess or not? Yeah, in certain parts. So some of our stuff is like fully automated, which is the part I'm excited about. But we also do like, it's called human in the loop AI, which is like, sorry to pick on Facebook again, but like when they're trying to tag, what what were they trying to do? They're trying to tag articles for like, you know, abusive language and stuff. That's Mm -hmm. a human, they hired like a thousand people to do that alone because AI is not, able to do it just yet. Um, Google has some similar stuff about like Twitter to figure out like who's who's being a, a poor character on Twitter. It's all human in the loop AI. And then, yeah, like exactly what we, we do is um, whether it's right or wrong, the outcome for us uh, is not mm-hmm. like objective necessarily, you know, like if someone gives a gift in a nonprofit, that's a great outcome. But whether it's right or wrong, exactly what we're saying is like, it requires some human intuition to right. make that determination. So we have people like every hundred batches, thousand batches, like just check it out and see if it's still happy. Nice. So, so you're doing this AI stuff, but it's centered around philanthropy? Yeah. So like fundament in the, the three word description of our company is AI for philanthropy, which is basically not, you know, you never think about like AI or big data when you think about nonprofits, um, but they have more data than most big companies do, right? Like every time you swiped your card and bought, um, you know, a hat at the school store or made a donation or went to a game or did anything, 
they track all that data. They just have no idea what to do with it. Um, so that's a lot of what we do is sort of liberate that, go to big public data, get behavioral stuff from you know social media and everything like that, and combine it together, which is cool. Yeah. So how did you get into this? Is this something that's uh, like personal for you, or? Uh, I, so I spent my the early part of my career on Wall Street. So I was doing um, really early on portfolio analytics and quant systems, and then eventually, you know, Wall Street's a sometimes a tough place to. Uh, keep your your soul intact in certain situations. Um, so quit that. Most situations. <laughs> most situations turns turns pretty uh, pretty dark sometimes. Uh, quit that to go out to Berkeley, California, to start a, um, a a bootstrap a startup. It was basically like Etsy for food is what we did. So I went from like you know buttoned up, high paying Wall Street to really poor hippie <laughs> food startup. Um, nice and. Uh, that didn't work out for a variety of reasons. Um, actually came back to do uh, sort of more of like a fintech uh, startup at Wall Street, but we we raised uh, about $120 million there. Um, so not really a startup, like just a, yeah, behemoth. Um, but again, you know, sort of turned, it, it wasn't exactly for me towards the end. And then I actually, um, along the way, had uh, suffered a, uh, a brain aneurysm rupture. So working hard, always, you know, doing pretty well. And then that just, you know, takes me out of the game for a little bit. Really hard recovery, couldn't walk, couldn't talk, uh, had to relearn all this stuff and decided I needed to basically do like a second chance at life kind of thing. So focused on starting a company that really matched my interests. Um Ended up going to Babson College, so they're they're you know some people know about them, but they're they're claimed to fame as they're the number one entrepreneurship education school. So uh, for like twenty years or something. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and then so that was my my thing. I was like, all right, let's try a different version of life right now, and sort of uh, go meet some new people, try some new opportunities, right? And there I met my co-founder, who was a fundraiser, uh, like a these schools have like frontline fundraisers that basically help, you know, talk to donors, build relationships, close gifts. Um, and he was getting his MBA at the time too. I had no idea what fundraising was. So I asked him like, what's your job about? Um, and he, you know, he's a smart guy, but the, you know, limitations of like his understanding of the, the, the data and tech and uh, the school in general, you know, he was doing a lot of the work in just like Excel spreadsheets or, quite frankly, like with sticky notes and a bit of luck. And so, as you know, we were talking and we were like, hey, what, do, what happens if we combine, you know, my skill set with your skill set, which is basically taking all that data, modeling it and predicting outcomes. Turns out we did really, really well with that. Um, we shopped the idea around for a little while uh, to hospitals, cures and causes organizations, all kinds of, non there's like so many different types of nonprofits. And everybody seemed to have the same problem. Um, so then we we were like, okay, this matches both of our interests and it's a socially conscious business focused on AI. Let's go for it. And then we got funding. So that's uh, that's sort of the, the abridged version of the story. So where are you at now? How big is the team? So um, the we are in based in Newton, Massachusetts, um, right outside of Boston. Uh, Boston real estate is very expensive, so we're, we're, we're doing stuff here. We, yes. we went through um, 
the MASH Challenge program, which is like a really big accelerator out here. We're in a building that's sort of a joint venture between MASH Challenge and the city of Newton. Um, so we're really happy here. We're at, uh, depending on the day, eight to 10 people now. Um, we think by the end of the year, we'll be up to 15 to 20 folks, depending on how the winds go. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's we're pretty heavy on tech right now. So probably about 70% of our people are tech focused, um, which is like necessary to build algorithms and move fast enough and do some stuff that has never really been done before. And, you know, when we raised our seed, you know, pre-seed funding, we said um, the purpose of this is to have like a bunch of questions and answer a couple of them. And then once we've answered them, if we still, you know, deserve to be in business, let's go and raise a seed round to answer more questions. So we're constantly answering all these questions and doing really well. So that's, uh, we, I think we have a big year ahead of us on that. And then how did you pick Boston? Have you, were you living in Boston or like, how did you become familiar with that? Yeah. So, um, me personally, so my, um, my wife is an uh, environmental attorney and she, we were both down in, in Virginia DC area when, um, my, my aneurysm happened. I was actually working from home during that year, um, mm-hmm. down in that area. Uh, her, uh, it was a clerkship. So it had a finite sort of time and, I had applied to Babson and several other schools and Babson just was the amazingly correct choice for me. So we both decided to move up to Boston and we've been here for four years now or something between. Yeah, I think about four years now. And it's besides the winners, it's, you know, really smart. No, a lot of really smart people, very culturally diverse, um, from where I'm sitting, there's a hundred schools in a 10 square mile radius. So it's a fantastic place to have a, a nonprofit based, you know, have your customers be nonprofits because I can just basically drive around all day and have plenty of folks to, to talk with. So, and, you know, from an AI perspective, there's all sorts of weird articles around, but one said there's about 20,000 people who are capable of building these AI systems. Um, and about a quarter of them live in the Boston area. So it's the perfect place to be for attracting talent and that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. That's like uh, AI hub, Boston. Oh, it's crazy. You know, we, I talk about it a lot. I'm a mentor at the Techstars Autonomous um, Technology Accelerator, where it's all AI and ML and moving drones around the world and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, every single school here has some sort of like accelerator or think tank around AI, ethics of AI, training educators, training business people, all kinds of, everybody's thinking about it, which is awesome. Yeah, we were talking about Brad Feld this morning. He's one of the co-founders of uh, Techstars. Techstars, yep, yep. Yeah. He, I, th- I think, so I used to live in Denver for a little while in between my failed startup and, you know, the RELSI, which was the one after that. And always wanted to go over to Boulder and meet him. Oh, yeah. Never got around to it. <laughs> oh, man. I read, yeah. read the book. I can't remember what the book is, but they, they have a, a pretty popular book that I, that I read. I can't, I can't remember what it is, though. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a writer. Um, yeah. You know, I spent some time in Waltham. Nice. Which is right around that area. I remember just, I was, we were at this, at this cabin thing, cabin style house, or it kind of felt like a cabin, anyways. But it yeah. was right on this big lake. And so, like, to me, Waltham's like that house and that big lake. That's my memories oh, of it. 
Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. And and I mean, in new and so we're in a. Oh, it was somebody's you know Victorian mansion mm-hmm. a long time ago. Then they turned it into a library for about fifty or sixty or seventy years or something. And then the Parks and Recreation Department moved in, and now we're here. So we're actually on the corner of a really big park and there's a, they're they're refurbishing a pond that's here i mean you know it's 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 cool to be out in the suburbs and not just stepping all over everybody uh like you do in the city oh, yeah. so you're big into the ai did you there's this article that came out i i saw it last night i'm not sure when it came out but it felt like it was within the past week they're talking about how china has now declared like essentially the second space race but with ai have you read that yeah. one yet yeah, uh, no, maybe not that particular article, but um, yeah. you know, one, the one of the interesting, yeah, the story is really interesting because one of the, um, you know, one of the really interesting things is that, you know, I was talking about AlphaGo and um, uh, like IBM and all of these like really interesting, you know, success metrics of AI against humanity. Those algorithms, there's another article that's been floating around. Those algorithms have been around for decades. Right. Mm-hmm. So the concepts aren't new, but what has changed and they talk, people talk about this like sort of exhaustively is that we finally have, uh, you know, the processing horsepower to go through it fast enough. Um, that's maybe takes a backseat to the fact that we now have enough data to come up with meaningful results. So that's a combination of right algorithms, right, you know, business case and data and, and fast enough processing power. So one of the things that, um, you know, it's a little bit controversial to think about it out loud, but, uh, you know, if you, it, all else equal, so algorithms are equal, processing power, let's say that's equal between, you know, the United States and China. The movement of data, though, is wildly different between our countries. So um, within the U.S., there's really no stopping data moving around the borders or um, gathering data from citizens and stuff. Versus China has a lot more controls over that. Um, so a lot of the that space race concept, um, popular opinion, I think I share it, is that they're gathering way more data than we are, which means they're you know poised to take a bunch of steps ahead of us uh, if they can use it properly. Dude, are you like listening to the show all the time? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, right? <laughs> no, because this is what I'm talking about. I've been talking about this like, like at, I didn't, before I even saw this China thing, right? Uh, we were talking about AI and who's going to win this rate. Like before I saw this, I just saw this for the first time last night, but I've been thinking about it since about two years ago when I noticed an increase in AI funding because I was doing yep. some, you know, private equity work, due diligence. And I was like, dude, what's with the increase in all the AI projects? Like everyone wants AI. All of a sudden it became this investor hot topic, right? Right. So I'm like, I'm thinking about it. And then I'm brainstorming one night with one of my buddies, right? Who's a CTO. And we're kind of talking and he's like, he was, he was like, well, we could do this with AI. We could do that. And we're both, you know, have 15 years plus coding experience. So we are very aware of what we could capably do, right? Sure, and sure. I said, I said, you know what, man? I said, I don't think the code and the processing is where I would put my bet. I said, you know where I'm going to put my bet? And he goes, where? I said, I think if we do a startup, what we should do is we should build a tool that allows, like a, create a standard in the data so mm-hmm. that like, let's say we want to do, the example I gave was like a, I want to, I believe that in the future, personality data 
for these AIs is going to become more and more interesting because after everyone solves like all these basic functional problems, the next thing is humans are going to want to talk to it and interact with it more like another human, right? right. And right. what are humans but collections of stories, right? We all have mm-hmm. our stories, stories, how we communicate information, storytelling is so important. So I said, what if we developed a tool by that we could design stories in ways that AIs could consume them and have amazing detail and be able to you know, have this base story that then the AI could build upon. And what we do is we create all the stories, all the ideas, all the things like that. And then we wait for the technology to catch up and then they'll be able to consume our data sources and write algorithms or whatever they need to write to take our large, vast data stores of different personality stories and all this stuff and then consume that because the the, the arbitrage, the thing that everyone's going to need the most of is going to be clean, formatted, organized data that they know that, all right, I can have my machine learner go in here and consume all this data and it will understand the concept of empathy. But right. like right now you can't do that because you don't know if the data is dirty. Forget structure of the actual organization, of the actual data. You don't know that it's pure, that you're actually teaching it empathy. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, and it's interesting. So there's two, one thing that's really, uh, I read a paper recently. I can't remember who it's by, high profile person. Um, It's called the unreasonable effectiveness of data, which sort of talks about improving, improving any of these things in in AI, machine learning, everything hinges on your data. The better your data is, Uh the better your results are, which is awesome. And then from like an innovation startup standpoint, it's like, it's fascinating to think about how a new AI company can come to be right? Or who's going to win, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of what I've been seeing or formulating an opinion on is that there's sort of three type, three types of companies in this space. Like one is uh, a vertical company, right? So you solve a very specific problem for a very specific end user and you know all the data, uh, like you can evaluate whether you can solve this problem because you have all the data at hand. It's not, it's not a wide problem. It's just a very deep problem, right? That's That's what we do. That's what a lot of uh, like new AI companies are doing, right? The the other side is sort of a horizontal one. So if you imagine um, like an Alexa or they, they talk, uh, there's an article recently about uh, a very long one. Uh, I think Stephen Levy wrote it about, um, you know, Amazon's use of AI and sort of coming into it as a horizontal problem because you can pull data from all of these different sources because it's formatted, because it's all integrated with one system. Um, I certainly, and many of my AI friends have no business becoming a horizontal company because we don't have the data. And then um, I have some investor friends that are, you know, they ping us every once in a while asking our opinion about AI and this. And exactly like you said, there's a lot of interest out there. Money wants to get thrown around. Um, every time somebody says, oh, I'm a standalone AI company, I generate my own data and my own insights, I raise the BS flag very quickly. And I say, I am, I guarantee you might not know uh, what you're saying or you're bound to fail at this just because like without the data, you're not going to come up with the right insights that a customer is going to want at the end of the day. So it's fascinating. It's pointless in a sense. I mean, it's, I think it's less about like BS, right? It's kind of like more about being pointless. Like if, if you're manufacturing your own data and then getting your own result, like you need, what you need is you need a large array, like of a large variety of data, right? Right. 
it's like the big the all the big v's it's volume veracity uh variety all of the like the concepts of like what is big data and if you don't check one of those boxes um you you're poised to run into some struggles yeah, but we have two writers on staff and they're generating two <laughs> so articles a day data. and we're consuming that data. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, and uh, oh, can, can I just use a, a corpus? Uh, I, I learned the plural right. corpus is corpora, which is a fun word. Uh, I'm really smart. So couldn't we use corpora? Uh, the, the problem is you can and so can everyone else, you know, so there's no mm. really advantage that, you know, for training, it's great. And maybe you tweak some parameters to make make a smarter outcome. But until you get sort of those proprietary data sets, you're playing with the same hand that everybody else has. And that's not always a great place to be, as a, especially as a startup. So you know about more about this China thing than I do. So I, I'm curious if you can answer this question. So the, the gist of it, because I, I totally skimmed the, the whole thing, but the gist of it was that they're announcing, you know, oh, this is going to be the next space race. AI is going to be the next thing. But my question that I couldn't clearly find in the article that I read was if you're going to have a race, like it's very clear when we went to put something on the moon, right? Because it's like, all right, you have a rocket and there's the moon. You put the rocket onto the moon. Like you could, you can clearly see the goal and then you work backwards to solve it. Right. But I couldn't clearly see what they were referring to as the moon. Like what is the thing that says I won the race other than mm. just like all out war or domination through digital hacking. Like, I don't know, like what, where's the goal? What are you, what are they running towards? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of faced with this weird duality between this past wall street shark life and my current socially minded, you know, survivor mindset. Right. And I would hope that most countries are going towards, you know, altruistic uses of this data and trying to benefit people and humanity in general. So that, but I, the, my answer is going to be really weird. So in that sense, I don't know what the goal is. Maybe it's using AI to um, bring about a, a stronger economy, right? And on the flip side, it's uh, it's actually very clear what the goal is, is yeah, like you said, domination and war. But if that's our focus, then Someone winning uh, is also losing at the exact same time in my mind. So I'm not sure what the outcome is there. And then I've been reading some stuff about it where the goal of uh, AI and information warfare is to almost uh, <laughs> to, to have it almost be like nothing happened at all. You know, it's like it's like um, with the indictments for for Russia there, it's there's all these like subversive sort of inception level changes that can be happening around you because AI made it possible. Uh, so you don't even know if you're losing. You don't even know you're at war until it's too late kind of thing. So it's very, it, it's it's either going to be amazing or really, really scary. And I, I hope it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll probably be, end up be somewhere in the middle. I do, however, think like that we should visualize some sort of goal or set some sort of goal as either an industry or a world or a country or like we should set some goal so that you we can hit it <laughs> yeah well and that's right? one, one thing that came up in the past couple of weeks is you know there's some data is inherently biased right so 
even though our algorithms are built by people who could be biased, our, our data is too, right? So data is either created uh, by, you know, a human, which we're, we're really flawed creatures, right? So that's, that's biased. Or the mechanism for creation of automatic data. So like think about like Internet of Things or something, right? Uh, was created by humans who is who are biased. So we're starting from a bias, right? And then there's all these like really intense ethical quandaries that are coming up about uh, facial recognition, right? So a lot of the the corpora are uh, you know like like seventy percent white males, and so mm-hmm. when you're trying to run the system across all sorts, I just wrote an article on this, like I'm trying to run systems across genders, ethnicities, races, all that kind of stuff. You, you're already at an imbalance and a bias. So one of the coolest things, uh, I, can't, I can't remember who brought it up, but you know how doctors have to take the Hi- Hippocratic Oath, right? Do no harm yeah. above all else, right? They're trying to start, uh, whoever this is, is trying to start one for AI uh, software engineering. And I think it's, it's I don't know, it's like sort of like uh, self-policing just, I guess, but, um, I think it's awesome, you know, instead of, you know, do no evil, like the old Google model was, it's like, do good, <laughs> you know, do, do good first. I'm kind of just having stuff flow through my head right now. So I'll just let it out. Okay. So I'm kind of seeing in my head that there's a possibility, like I will, if we let, if we leave it up to the governments to develop the AI, right. If we say, oh, we're not going to work, we're just going to let, we're going to let the governments lead. We're going to let China lead. We're going to let everyone. We're going to let the governments lead. I think if we let governments lead versus if in our mind we let the private sector lead, uh, and then I'll back up for a second here. I think that one of the ways for us to win, right, one of the ways for us to win is for us to develop an overwhelming amount of good AI, mm-hmm. right? And like just be consistently developing AI for good so that it's a disproportionate amount of altruistic good AI in relation to warfare style AI, sure. right? So we would have to actually intentionally do that because from like a macro level, I just feel we're in a better position than not addressing it at all. <laughs> right? I'm sure any normal sane person would agree with me, right? So, yeah. would, so let's develop a disproportionate amount of good AI and that smarter, better AI can help us when we when we deal with the uh, anything that mischievous AI that might come up. But I don't I don't think that the government's money is necessarily to develop good, genuinely good AI. I think it's more to develop like process optimization and things like that, yep. right? Uh, which is fine, right? But that means that presents it or maybe to develop a meaner, stronger AI so they can defeat the other government's meaner, stronger AI. So I think maybe the private sector needs to figure like put some put its cash into some developing these better AIs that will then fight the other AI. But I, I really believe that there will be some sort of weird AI digital cyber like world war situation mm-hmm. and not like in like a go be crazy way. But here's the thing. You get that develop. Humans are curious. We're curious animals. You get that individual that makes it, and and hypoth- the hypothesis is that it could go hack the whole other government's network and hijack everything. And then you know it's just whether or not they push that button, right? And then you, the curiosity in me says they push the button, right? Which is crazy. And I mean, one of the things you can think about is it, back on the China versus U.S. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a broader competition, but we're the two behemoths at the moment. Yeah. Um, regardless of your 
political leanings, China is putting more government funding into AI projects. I, I don't recall oh, the top. Yeah, I like it's orders of magnitude greater than the, you know the current administration or the former administration. So on both sides of of the aisle, which, which is really interesting. And then you know, so then you like I agree. Like you don't you look towards the private sector for some innovation, right? Uh, the the uh, accelerator that I'm part of too, they're a bunch of vertical uh, you know, AI startups that need to rely on government data, but the government has 50 forms you have to fill out before you can even like show up at the door and all kinds of stuff. So they're trying to break it down. So you're exactly right. Like, I feel like they might focus on process and that's process and warfare are great, but not altruistic and it's not AI for good. Yeah. So where China wins is this. So my sister lived there for four years and she just moved back. And so I was getting to talk to her a lot about how it works over there. Yeah. So in China, they they all have one app. Like mm-hmm. there's one app. You you it's your social network. It's your payment gateway. It's everything. Like we have different things. We have our we have our PayPal's. We have our, our bank accounts. We have like everything separate for us, so that when the government wants to tie it together, they would literally have to go to every single one of these independent companies everywhere. It's this big deal. All the data schemas are you know proprietary so they're very different and need to be mapped if you're going to consume the data all this stuff right cost time money whatever but in china it's all in one system man and it's owned by the government they they have everything they know everything and then then they don't have to negotiate with the companies that they don't have stuff they just walk in with their army and say give it like they aren't like us at all like they just do whatever they want from a government standpoint it's interesting because and the government you know our government is you know there's people thinking about this stuff, which is cool. So the senator, I believe, from Washington State, her name is escaping me right now, too. I think she's going to have a hard time with one part of it, but she's trying to create AI-based legislation um, in a positive way so that the government can think forward on it. Uh, the, the first page tries to define AI, which I think doesn't deserve a definition, in my view, because it's nonsense like in general, right? Um it, it means whatever it means for the use case that you're solving. It's not like a, a a whole encompassing, you know, theory of the universe for what AI means. Um, right. But I think some people are are hopefully taking some smart moves. But who knows how long that'll that'll take? And then the other thing that's really interesting from okay, abandon the government. Look look at the private sector. When we started Gravity. Um, you know, we we weren't an AI company at the beginning. It, it happened. Uh, it happened slow, not slowly, but it happened uh, maybe like six months after we were formed. Um, just because you know people didn't want process and visualizations anymore; they wanted something to do work for them. And AI was like obviously the the best way to do that. Um, but people still to this day try to evaluate us based off of SaaS metrics. So like software as a service <laughs> metrics, yeah. which, which AI, it's like, it's still too new. Like what are the real metrics to measure us and do like, does the old way of moving private, you know, funds uh, into companies still make sense? I would argue no, um, but I'm typically, you know, the, you know, the metaphor of like, standing on a soapbox in London Square or something saying, oh, change the way you do your investment thesis. Um, it's not working so well. For, it's fine for us, but many of our friends, it's not working well for them. Um, so it's almost like a fundamental shift across policy, investments, ethics, and 
data collection that's going to make us win. Uh, and any one of those things we mess up on is, might set us back pretty far. I have a goal. I have the goal for the AI space race. What's that? You ready for it? Yes. Uh, where the machine, the artificial intelligence, is fluid consciousness. So when you interact with it, it's no different than than a person. And not only that, so that's part one, uh, to be able to learn and then understand and whatever. But the part two would be for it to be able to do it maybe 50 times, 50x, uh, maybe 100x t- uh, faster than humans. Like I have to wait for my daughter to reach the age of 15 before she starts. I mean, she's six months right now. But she's, you know, walking at you know, a year maybe, right? Yeah. She's trying to talk one, two. I mean, that's two years, 24-7 being, or well, you know, 10 I'm hours just, a day being yeah. on. Yeah. Before she gets some basic functional stuff, right? So, I mean, I kind of consider the computer right now to be how she was when she was physically delivered, when she was born. Her mm-hmm. her processes can operate. She's got some vision functionality. She's got some movement functionality. Like she's got some <laughs> basic functionality, right? Yeah. But she hasn't really learned to walk yet. You know, she hasn't mm-hmm. really learned to talk yet, right? But once she does. You know, so I think you're going to have to be able to boot up a machine from nothing, right? And then have it not even do it as, I mean, it takes humans to mentally mature like 25 years, right? Like Mm -hmm. you notice differences in your mental maturity every decade, right? So we have to condense that 18 to 25 years down into, I don't know, a couple weeks, a, a couple months, right? Of just straight machine learning. And when we hit that, well, once you can create a person or once you can create a, a, a machine that can think and interact and consume as fast as a human mind, once you get there, then you can do anything in the world because you can just make people on demand. Leader did uh, a couple months back, there were two AI books on his desk. One was a book called The Master Algorithm, which talks a lot about mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners have read it or heard about it or whatever, but we're in the, that we're artificial intelligence right now is yeah, it's it's a newborn baby, right? We there's an article I read yesterday that AI in its best form at the moment um, is not able to defeat a moth in trying to discover new smells like to, to learn smells. A moth's brain is faster than the best AI we have right now. So it's like, we are definitely at the beginning. And then, so it's just AI for specific tasks. And then this book, you know, what, there's some incendiary thoughts in there, but like in general, you next go to like artificial general intelligence, which is us humans, right? Like we can learn anything. Mm-hmm. I, I knew when I see something new, I'd pretty much, you know, an apple. When I see an apple as a child, um, it only takes maybe one or two more times to know that a, a green apple looks like a red apple, looks like a rotten apple, looks like a picture of an apple. It's like I learned it very, very quickly. And the, the the thinking, which is like the scary dystopian thinking, is that once you hit artificial general intelligence, the AI is not going to be satisfied with that. And it'll quickly move to artificial super intelligence, which is the, you know, the overall, you know, exploration of, of that book. Um yeah, which is how do we do things that you know our human minds can't fathom? So, like if AI right now um, is the distance, you know, you imagine using your your phone 
uh, AI now is the distance between, you know, we're in the middle of a spectrum and um, let's say like a primate is on, on one side. So the distance between AI and us using a phone is, is, is that um, uh, you hand it to a primate, they'll see it. They can hear the sounds. They can sort of understand what's, what's generally happening. The distance between us uh, and AI super intelligence though, is uh, the distance between us and an ant. So like using a phone. Hey, dude, that's what popped into my head. Yeah. Well, like when you, before you said it, I was like, probably an ant. Yeah. What, like, and then you said yeah. ant, and I'm like, why did why did both of our minds go there? Well, it's like you you think of the strength of ants and the fascinating all this stuff, but like, in what context yeah. does an ant understand what the phone is going on? Like, what's going on with the phone? So, like, that's if we get it right, it's beautiful. If we get it wrong, I don't know. I'm uh, maybe maybe I like my humanity a little too much, but I'm I'm worried I'll lose it at that point. So it's it's kind of crazy right isn't that insane like oh man just to think about the possibilities of even when you start getting out of the earth like an ai's omniscient thought can be transmitted instantly across the universe but yet like we are limited to us <laughs> yeah. Yeah. limited you know? to, to in our own i i started i've been watching in in what little free time i have i've been watching uh what's the show? Uh, altered carbon on um on Netflix, which basically oh yeah, yeah. they had that crazy a- thing at CES. It, yeah, it's AI and it's this theory of like oh they figured out how to store consciousness in a data storage so you never really die. You know, you just move to yeah. new bodies and stuff. And it's like holy cat! Like they explore it in like like a fun, sensationalized way. But in reality, if we do, yeah, it, my God, it's it's awesome. Like I don't think we as a species are prepared for the all the little you know implications of what ai could be if we if we let it grow dude i i wish i had this show like years ago <laughs> because you could talk to my family and my my wife and stuff yeah. i've been talking i'm 30 i've been talking about this since like well, I actually gave that one specific example of storing the consciousness of computers yep. when i was like 16 i remember when i was like driving around talking about it with my brother like well I was getting just had gotten my license, and he's just he would just sit there and be like, "Dude, you're crazy." <laughs> it's like now, I'm no, like, now you're reminiscent, you know. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm like, no, 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 because here's what I'm doing. Here's here's the here's the context. Okay, we consist. We are we. If you step back and look at macro patterns, we bring technology closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to us, and the end result is us being one and inside of technology. So it's really not that like crazy to throw it out there. It's crazy when you walk up to a person today and say, hey, can you believe that we're going to be living in a computer in 50 years? And they're going to be like, you need to go to a mental <laughs> institution, right? Right. Well, if 50 years ago you went to someone and said, hey, you would have all the knowledge of the entire universe in your hand and in a screen and a device that's a billion times powerful than anything we have right now, more data than anything you have right now, you go to the mental facility. Yep. That would be impossible. That's amazing. Right? So it's, it's like if you just look at the pattern of technology, we constantly put – or bring technology closer to us, increase technology. We had a conversation the other day about how if you're, when we imagine an invasion, we imagine other creatures like coming from outside of the earth, like to us and them being humanoid shaped, right? Like an alien coming. But I, we were talking the day, other day on the show. And I said, dude, just imagine like, it doesn't have to be humanoid shaped. What if it's just silicon? Then if you actually look at it with that perspective, it's taking over the world. Well, they, they talk about, so if you think about, our ability to manipulate um, atoms, 
right now. So we're doing that in all these mm-hmm. really big, sophisticated pieces of machinery. Uh, but we're using our human brains to figure out how to manipulate that stuff. Imagine if an AI can go on its own. Like, so you hit artificial general or super intelligence, and all of a sudden AI could manipulate atoms in its own way. It could manipulate the physical world in, in its own way. Yeah. Um, and then you're exactly right. Like, what is the outcome of that? Um, is just, <laughs> I, I find it fascinating. So on the same note, like, I was. You know, I was leading sort of a normal life until at some point I started reading like the books like Ray Kurzweil puts out on uh, on the singularity and the when humans are no longer, you know, machines are no longer distinguished from people. And that's, we should have started a podcast then because that stuff is <laughs> wild to think about. And, uh, you know, as sort of one thing that I struggle with still is, in the con- let's say even in the context of my little corner of the AI world, uh, is this the the humanization of technology that's happening, or is it the mechanization of people? And I'm not. I think it's different, but I'm I haven't quite figured it out yet. Well, it's this, it's it's the same thing. Two perspectives, right? It's the same event that's occurring. It's just what perspective you take, right? It's happening. It's just your brain's trying to figure out how do you process it. Yeah, the humanization of people is could lead to, you know, job loss, and it could lead to all of these scary things. Could I mean, look yeah. at, it already has, dude. Yep. Like, all right, we'll bring it up on a positive note. We are coming out to Boston. Okay, uh, we're doing a modern CTO world tour. Yep. Have you have you read any of our like propaganda about this yet? Not that, not the tour, but I, uh, I'll be here and I would be happy to, uh, be involved in whatever way. Yeah. We wanted to come hang out behind the scenes. So what, what it is, it's this high energy geek night out, right? Yep. And it's, we're doing it to kind of like give back to the, the college computer engineering world, right? So it's this one night and we're going to transform yep. the college auditorium into this like technology paradise. So it's going to open <laughs> with this drone show inside, right? Lights, Holy drone cow. show, media screen, live DJ, the drones and the music and everything will be synced. And so it'll be this like, you know, five to 15 minute like opener, insane yep. high energy, right? Then after the drone show, uh, I'll introduce, uh, come in and you know, say, hey, what to expect as the host and everything. This monster aerial drone will be flying around, right? Getting with a fork, equipped with a 4K lens, taking shots of the, of the crowd, right? So it'll be live streamed, not only at that university, but like it'll be live streamed at every computer engineering and uh, engineering university in the entire world. Like there's 7,200 of them, right? And then I'll interview uh, the special guests, which will be a really, really big, high profile guest. And so there'll be one at each, and so it's a world tour. So there's 16 locations and one of them is, you know, in Boston. And then we're gonna have Elon Musk style flamethrower, right? (laughs) And one of the computer science kids is going to get to shoot off the flamethrower. Right. So, so they're not going to let us do it inside, most likely. Hopefully they would, but they probably won't. So what we'll do is we'll fly that 4K drone outside and let the individual shoot it off outside and it'll be streamed, the video streamed back into the media screen on the inside, right? Then we're going to bring oh, up awesome. local technologists, right? We're going to bring up local technologists, like a, a cool CTO and some cool robotics engineers that are from whatever city that we're currently in. And then we're bringing up, uh, we do a little live Q&A from the crowd, from some of the engineers and the students in the crowd. And it's all free for, for the college students. So it's, it's at the college. It's all free for the college students. Then we're going to bring awesome. up on stage and do a show and tell. 
So we're going to bring up like a Boston Dynamics robot or like a Cassie, one of the bipedal walking robots, yep. right? We're going to get to play with it and see it. And then we're going to announce winners of the hardware and software hack where each group will win $10,000 given away on the whole tour, given away over a million dollars in, in uh, hardware, software hack uh, prizes and stuff like that, that we exit with the high energy drone show finale, right? It's going to be insane. When is this? Tomorrow? Can I? Can this be tomorrow? <laughs> this sounds yeah, we're, awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're, right? We're kicking it off, uh, I believe, spring, into spring. So like th- three months, we're kicking off the tour. We're kicking it off in Florida, and then cool. we're hitting 16 cities around the world, and it's going to be the most... Have you ever heard of anything like this before? No, I mean, it, I'm imagining what I saw in the Olympic opening ceremony right yep. now with the yep. coordinated drones and all this stuff. So yes, uh, I am very excited. That sounds awesome. Yeah, we are we are so pumped. It's going to be the biggest event in engineering that like the most fun thing that anyone has ever experienced. And uh, it took a whole team of us to just imagine it and create it and come up with it. And now we're executing it. So we're really pumped. That's maybe uh, maybe we'll put you on our um, list of like advisors for AI advisors for the tour. So we will run AI stuff by, by you say, hey, we should do some AI thing on the media screen to raise awareness of this or that. And you can kind of give us some direction, just a 15 minute call. That'd be cool. I would I would love that. And, um, you know, AI, like this is a big research city, too. So the yeah. closer you get to research is very interesting from like a technical standpoint. Um, but then there's also this really big groundswell about um, the ethical use of AI. So we touched on some of it uh, as we were just talking. Um, I Just planting some seeds now, those would be very interesting talks uh, or showcases or whatever for AI. So I'd be happy to share whatever I can be helpful with. That'd be awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rich, for coming and hanging out with us today. If people want to find out more about you, how would they do that? Sure. They can go to um, just www.gravity.com if they want to find out about the company, um, or you can find me on Twitter. It's just Rich M. You know, Palmer is my name. So uh, that's awesome. How, how do you spell gravity? So <laughs> the uh, new, you know, proper word domains are difficult to come by in 2018. Um, yeah. So gravity is spelled with a Y in the middle. So it's G R A V Y. T-Y. Excellent. So they type in gravity or rich and they're going to find you. Yeah, they'll find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rich. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.